0: Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, I've been a cop for 27 years, I like to say I got a backstage pass to life, well guess what, I got some tickets for you, so come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go, Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon everybody, welcome to Chasing Justice with me, your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro, I'm glad you're all here today. Today's going to be, I think, an interesting episode for us to spend time together, uh, there's a lot of things that I, I, I'm just the catch in my eye to comment on. Uh, and then I'm going to try to talk a little bit about the Uvalde school shooting at the Robb Elementary School. As I start going out uh, into the world conducting these threat assessments because the world is opening up again. And we're starting to see schools are realizing, geez, maybe we should really concentrate on security. We've been out for two years. We're, we've been worried about the COVID and the masks and the shots and the this and that. Maybe we need to be concerned about uh, some security issues. So I am getting called a lot to go do a lot of these assessments. And what happened in Uvalde is really, um, it's it's another set of lessons learned. So I'll be writing an article and doing a webinar with Campus Safety Magazine. I'm on their board of experts for safety and security. So I'm putting together an article that's going to detail uh, basically, uh, it's not a finger-pointing thing. I'm law enforcement. I'm not here to point fingers at my brother and sister law enforcement officers. But we have to be able to realize when we've made mistakes uh, that we accept it and that we move forward. How can we learn from each event and move forward is the key. So when we talk about incidents of active shooting, uh, we're hearing this more and more every day because it's it's close on everybody's mind. Uh, we just saw one in uh, at Love Field down in Texas in the airport, uh, a woman uh, pulls out a gun and starts shooting. Luckily, the cops were there and, uh, and they, they took her into custody. They shot her and they took her into custody. Um, they're, they're random and you can't really, you know, pick where the next one is going to be. It could be anywhere. So we have to kind of be prepared. So when we look at the event that happened just uh, a few weeks ago where a young man happened to be armed. Uh, I think it was in Michigan in a mall, and a guy, in Indiana, sorry, in Indiana, and a uh, active shooter came in, armed to the teeth, ready to go. Uh, he shot and th- killed three people, and then a 22-year-old kid who was uh, allowed to carry a, a concealed weapon because of the state law produced his weapon and killed the shooter before he could take out 10, 15, 20, 30 people, whatever it was. So we hear very little about those kind of stories, but they're out there and they're real. So they are, kind of, uh, they are kind of random when they happen. I did see one, uh, okay, kind of a strange one, uh, in Lyon, France. Now, this wasn't an active shooter, but uh, it, it's got a component to it that I think is strange. It was on a nude beach, okay? So you say, okay, somebody, you'd think you'd notice somebody carrying a gun on a nude beach, wouldn't you? Well, in Lyon, I like the way I say that, right? Lyon, like on French or something in Lyon, France, where the clothing is banned, right? It's not a clothing optional, it's banned. And there was a 75-year-old guy there and he's, you know, just I guess enjoying the sun, the sun rays and all that kind of stuff. And there was another guy, 46-year-old guy, who was apparently uh, harassing people on the beach, harassing women, uh, touching himself inappropriately in front of people and him and a woman got into an argument. And this 75-year-old guy walked over to his bag because I guess you're allowed to bring a bag of stuff down with you and he happened to have a gun in there and went over and shot and killed the guy. Uh, kind of a strange thing, you know, these these, these kind of shootings. But I, I saw that when I said, you see the headline, you know, uh, shooting on a nude beach. Well, you'd think you'd notice somebody had a gun. That's that's what I'm trying to say there. Um, the randomness of, of these shootings... Um, is one of the things we need to be concerned with. Now, Canada just had a, a guy running around doing multiple shootings in one night. He didn't kill a lot of people, I don't think. I don't have all the details at the moment. But I know he was shooting at people in several different locations. And then there they are. You know, uh, the police came and uh, apparently took the guy into custody. So these these shooters are not uh, only in the United States, though mostly, you know, these, these active shooter kind of things are mostly in the United States. So we're going to get to that when We're going to talk about Uvalde, in a few minutes, the uh, Uvalde school shooting at the Robb Elementary School, because the initial interim report, not the final report, the interim report, has come out from from Texas. And I'm going to go over some of the things that are in there and talk about them. Uh, But for a couple minutes, I'm going to talk about some interesting other things that are going on. Do you ever see the show American Pickers? Uh, There's a guy, Frank, and his buddy Mike, and they ride around in the van, and they have a young lady back in the office, and uh, she finds places where, hey, this guy, old man Johnson, uh, has uh, seven barns full of old things from the 40s and 50s that he wants to get rid of, and then they drive out there, and they they pick. They go picking. They they look for old uh, signs. Apparently, there's a huge market for these kind of things, old signs. They buy old bicycles if they find them. They have a store, you know, they have a store where you can go buy their stuff, but I think a lot of what they do is, if you haven't seen the show, it's very interesting. For me, I find it interesting. I find all of those, uh, you know, uh, treasures out of nowhere kind of shows to be interesting where people, you ever see the magnet one? They get this big, powerful magnet on a rope and they throw it in, a, in the river and they come up with anything metal and sometimes they come up with cool stuff. That and I like treasure hunting. I love the idea of treasure hunting. If I could uh, be completely retired I would certainly probably scour the Caribbean for sunken pirate ships and sunken uh, ships that are filled with gold and jewelry and all that kind of stuff. I just love the idea of, of finding that. Or archaeology. I mean, how cool would it be to dig something up and find some crazy ancient piece of something or other? Um, you know, I do a lot of writing. and I, Most of you know I do a lot of writing. I write a lot of articles. Uh, I write books on on how to do things, police training and whatnot. But I also write a lot of fiction, and the idea of of that finding that something from you know back in history that can change things, change the way we see the world or whatever, you know. And one of my themes constantly is uh, is an archaeological dig brought up by accident. See, I, that's what, that's that's the concept I like. An archaeological dig where maybe a plane crashes somewhere and reveals something. And then people start digging and they find it. So one of the stories that I have uh, is is exactly that. An airplane crashes in the desert, in the Sahara Desert. And it's a pretty big impact. And while they're out there doing the investigation, they're starting to... They find something. Uh, You know, they're searching through the sand. And they have to find all the pieces of the airplane and all the things so they can reconstruct the accident. Well, while they're out there searching with their metal detectors, they come across a huge anomaly of metal that doesn't seem to match the the plane crash whatsoever. And as they excavate it down, they find, that's right, da-dun-da-dun, they find an ancient crashed UFO uh, completely intact with, uh, with the crew, skeletal remains, and the whole thing. And, and we dig into who they are and where they come from and all that kind of thing. I think it's interesting. Maybe you do too. I like those kind of stories. But American Pickers... What I wanted to say about it is that because it is that kind of show. Sometimes they find a, a, bar, uh, a barn find, they call them, these cars, you know. A uh, 1957 uh, Corvette that hasn't run since 1958, and it's, you know, covered in dust, and they pull it out and sell it. And it's really cool. I like it. Well, the two guys, uh, Mike Wolf and Frank Fritz, seem to be best of friends. Apparently, there was some behind-the-stage uh Uh, friction between them, and uh, next thing you know, Frank is not on the show anymore, which is kind of sad, if you know, if you like, there were two nice guys, you know, it was a half an hour's worth of entertainment, look at TV now, is there anything on there worth watching, hardly anything at all, right, but these two guys uh, seem to be friendly, and they, and they found some cool stuff when they were out there, well, apparently Frank Fritz has had a stroke, or some other kind of medical uh, situation, and uh, I just want to wish, wish Frank luck, Uh, hope he feels better, because he was, uh, he was a fun character in the show, you know, it's a reality show, but you know it's all set up. Um, so I wish, him, I wish him well, and I wanted to mention that because um, I wanted to mention it, because I, I like Frank and I like the show. Another interesting thing I saw, which I want to say interesting, but also bizarre. If, if you go through and you, you check uh, the news feeds and this and that, you'll probably see uh, there was a bunch of medical students at the University of Michigan Now, these are kids that are are getting ready to become your doctors uh, in the future, your surgeons, your your gynecologists, your uh, brain doctors, whatever they're going to be. They're all going to be, you know, they're smart young people, men and women, they're going to go be doctors. And there's a ceremony called the White Coat Ceremony. Now, I don't know all about it, but I do know apparently at some point in your education, to become a doctor uh, there's this white coat ceremony where you go and you get your white coat your doctor coat you know it's a symbol we, we we do lots of things on symbols don't we uniforms and symbols they say things about us so these uh these students are all in this uh, auditorium and there's a speaker that's going to come in and give a keynote speak speech to these students and you say oh that's you know fantastic that's cool what's cool about it um well the woman who was uh giving the keynote speech was a horrible terrible person she was here it comes pro-life imagine that a disgusting pro-life person who believes that you know we should support life and protect life and uh, oh my god what a horrible person she is so a whole bunch of these students i think in the article i was reading it said two dozen students when she was introduced to give her speech, they stood up and walked out of the auditorium. This, this video of it, you can see it, of these, uh, you know, these woke students uh, walking out on the keynote speaker. Now, the speech was not about abortion or or uh, killing the elderly if they want, you know, if they're unuseful to us anymore. This was really uh, just a keynote about the celebration they were doing. you got your white coats, we're moving ahead. But these students were so woke that they demanded that this professor, and I think she was a professor from the university, was going to give a talk, and they said, "Well, you know, she's horrible. She's this pro-life person. We can't have her speaking here." Now, when I tell you that, what what it, what comes to mind when you think about the the players in this routine? Okay, you have students. Okay, I get that. That's good. Students are good, um, and they're doctor students. You know, medical doctors. They want to be MDS. They want to be your doctor. And t- now. What was the uh, the Hippocratic Oath? Remember that the Hippocratic Oath, and that was when these doctors had to take this oath before uh, before they would begin their practice, right? Um, I'm going to see if I can find it here because it's interesting. Be- one of the things it says: first, do no harm, right? That's what. First, do no harm. The Hippocratic Oath is an oath of ethics. Ethics historically taken by physicians. It's uh, one of the most widely known Greek medical texts. Its original form requires a new physician to swear by a number of healing gods to uphold specific standards. The oath is the earliest expression of medical ethics in the Western world. Okay, uh, pretty interesting. Um, but what exactly do they tell you? Well, it it, it doesn't say a lot um, in here. They're not going to give you the exact one. I'd see if I could find it, but. I don't, I don't have the specific principles about what it is, but that's the whole idea is that, um, to to be, do do the right thing, to protect life, to heal people, to make people well, and here they are, these new, new soon-to-be doctors are offended by a woman who has a position that she's pro-life, so much so they're going to get up and walk out on their ceremony, doesn't that strike you as strange? People who want to become doctors that are more about the death culture than they are about the life culture? Now, I know you can expect that a, an abortionist doctor would have his or her reasons for doing it. You know, they think it's medically necessary, whatever. You know, we talked about this. We're not talking about abortion today. It's just, um, it just seems strange to me that, it, and it's another indicator of how far we have come uh, as a nation, as people, as a society, that this is what we, we now see as normal. Our future doctors are offended by someone who is pro-life. And I just wanted to mention that. Um, very, very strange. Uh, in the world of law enforcement, when it comes to justice, of course, we, uh, we, that's, that's our, our approach here. We're looking to um, foster justice, talk about justice, talk about injustice, all those kind of things as they come up. You might, you might not remember Captain David Dorn. You might remember, not remember his name, but Captain David Dorn uh, was in St. Louis. And he was called uh, to the scene uh, of an incident that took place during some of the George Floyd riots. You know, the hundreds of, of riots across the country where people were killed, officers were killed. And uh, we're going to get all the facts on that out of the next congressional committee. We're going to find out what happened. Oh, well, no, there's no congressional committee on that, on hundreds and hundreds of riots and billions of dollars of damage and people killed and hurt and injured and cops hurt. Yeah, no, we're not going to investigate any of that. That's, that no, we're going to just investigate other things. But anyway, Captain David Dorn was murdered um, when he responded uh, to this incident, to the store or wherever he was sent. Um, and the young man who, uh, who killed him was just convicted of murder. And I thought that's good to mention. I want to remember Captain David Dorn. Uh, he was a good man, law enforcement guy, and he was, his life was cut short by a criminal. And that criminal was now held to justice. So we want to talk about today and, and mention that. There's another one interesting thing on a lighter note, because I don't want to get too heavy. We're going to get into some heavy stuff shortly, but uh, go on social media and look around and say, whale jumps on boat. Look that up. You know, people go whale watching and it, they're, they're beautiful animals. I mean, as, as big as they are, they jump out of the water. You can't believe the size of these. Well, this one whale jumped out of the water and came down on like a, a 25-foot boat, uh, hit the front end of the boat, didn't sink the boat, uh, didn't destroy or kill anybody. But it's amazing to see where this whale breaches right out of the water and boom lands on this boat. And there, there's boats all around. So if you're watching whales and you know they breach, I guess I guess you could anticipate that such a thing might happen, but it's, uh, it, it's just really weird to see. Now, my daughter, Marisa Joy, uh, a most wonderful, talented, powerful young woman, uh, her thing is she, she's scared to death of whales, except for the whales that we saw when she was little, when we went to, uh, SeaWorld, although she later on, uh, became a pro-advocate of getting those whales out of those kind of parks, uh, because, uh, you know, they're, they're, apparently they're not happy in there, and, we can get into the whole thing about zoos. How do you feel about zoos? You know, I get the idea of a zoo. A zoo is so that we can see the animals and learn about them and, and people, I guess, have more appreciation for it. But you can't imagine. You ever go to a zoo and you see this powerful lion, this beautiful creature, and it's pacing back and forth. Even if they give them like a ha- habitat, natural looking place to be, they, you know, they're they're miserable. You know, and are we really doing that much? Good. See, now I'm getting off on a tangent now because of this, uh, this story about the boat. Uh, and the whale. But the reason that I'm bringing that up is because my daughter, Marisa, we always tease her. It's the idea of a whale getting close to her um, is something that just freaks her out. You know, it's like uh, monsters under the bed well, when you talk about uh, whales. So anytime anybody in our family sees a, a video or a meme or anything about whales, we cut it and paste it and we send it to Marisa. So there was one that I saw as there was a guy walking on the beach and he's looking at three orcas, you know, you know, the black and white little killer whales. And he's, he's looking at them and, and they're like, they're swimming closer to him and closer to him. And he's now he's like in two feet of water. Then they rush him just like they do seals. When they want to eat the seals, they knock them down. They, and they grab onto him and drag them out in the water. Well, that was pretty freaky. And I sent that one to Marisa and uh, I think she stayed out of the ocean for two or three years after she saw that. So there's some interesting stuff out there, and I wanted to touch base on some of it before we get into uh, our conversation about Uvalde, because there are a lot of things um, that we need to we need to keep up aware of and, and pay attention to. So that's that's what I'm trying to do here today. Um, let's see. I had Shark Week. I don't know if you watch Shark Week. I like Shark Week. Uh, I'm into that. Now, how many sharks have bitten people uh, off of Long Island, right? All of a sudden, and then now they're saying there's a picture of a shark. Looks like a shark breaching off of Queens, New York, of all places. So there's a lot going on out there when you get to, to this type of year. Um, are you going to put masks back on? Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. Are you going to put masks back on? Well, you know, in some places they're talking about remasking. And now the monkeypox is out there. Oh, uh, the World Health Organization, the WHO, has now declared it a world health emergency. Isn't that funny? We have the resurgence of BA5 COVID, uh, and we have uh, monkeypox. Uh, Now the WHO is getting involved. I bet we're going to have to go back to paper balloting come November, because three months from now, can you imagine how much monkeypox is going to be out there? And this resurgent COVID and all of that? Are you going to mask back up? Are you going to, I had a mask up the other time, the other day for the first time in a very long time. Uh, I went to a doctor's office for a checkup and I walked in and everybody in the place was in masks. And they said, uh, oh, could you please put a mask on? I don't have a mask. We don't, we don't wear them anymore. Oh, we have one here for you right here. And I put it on. And, you know, talking to the, to the uh, young woman behind the desk and I said, you realize that the masks really do nothing to protect you, right? You know that, right? She goes, yes, I know, but, it's the rule, and we have to follow the rule, and it makes everybody feel better. So who's who does it make feel better? It doesn't make me feel better. I know it doesn't protect you, and I'm sitting here having to wear it, so I don't feel better. And she, she looks at me, and she looks around, and she goes, it makes some of the people here are nutty about it. It makes them feel better, so that's why we have to wear it. But you're starting to see a movement um, by some states and cities. Uh, of course, they are, they are blue states uh, starting to go back. Uh, somebody was just saying St. Louis schools just announced that when their kids come back, uh, they're going to have to go to school in masks in Kentucky, in St. Louis, Kentucky. So that's, that's kind of strange because uh, Kentucky, you would think, is more of a conservative place, more of a red place, although they have a Democratic governor. It's a very conservative state with a Democrat governor, and they're going back to masks. So are you going back to masks? I don't know. That's a question you might want to start paying attention to. Because as we start to move closer and closer to the fall elections, you know there's going to be moves to control the outcomes, okay, to to scare people off and get people out there. Uh, and the mask is probably one way they're going to start to go. They're going to start scaring you. It's going to be monkeypox. Next day, there'll be zebra pox, Then after that, there'll be uh, golden eagle pox, There'll be all kinds of things floating around out there to make sure that we have to drop ballots off in a box Uh, we can't go into the ballot place and actually uh, drop a ballot so I don't want to go on too much about that now you know I told you I had COVID right Uh, me and Miss Kathleen we had COVID and we had a very very mild case of COVID now we see the president has COVID and apparently he's been double vaxxed double boosted everything that they tell you they have to do he still got it just like Dr. Fauci they did all those things and if you go back and you see the tapes, you'll see them say, if you take, if you take the vaccine, you will not get the COVID. You'll be safe from the COVID. Well, it doesn't really work. People are getting it multiple times. I know several people that have been double vaxxed and double boosted who they are on their third bout of COVID. And this third one was was pretty powerful uh, for two of them, two of these people. They really had a hard time with it. And it's the BA25 or whatever is going around now, which is, seems to be pretty mild. Uh, that's the one that I had, and Kathleen had. It was, we woke up feeling kind of weird, you know, uh, just really. Ex- ours was exhaustion. Never lost my my sense of smell or taste or anything like that. I just felt really exhausted, and I had a headache for like, you no know, 36 hours. But I told you we had ivermectin. We had uh, we had the uh, uh, hydroxychloroquine from a doctors, from a doctors that prescribed it for us. And uh, in in two days, we were back on our feet and and back to normal, and all the residual effects were gone completely uh, in four days. Uh, Now I've known other people who have also had it recently, and they've been affected for three, four days at the most, and they bounce back. The president is saying he's feeling better, so I hope he is. He's our president. We may not like his policies, but he is our president, and we we want to hope for the best for him. Uh, But it's, it's out there. This COVID is out there still. It's an endemic now as opposed to a pandemic. Endemic, uh, if you don't know, it means it's going to be with us for a long time. It's no longer pandemic-y, it's uh, endemic-y. It's just going to be part of what we do, like the seasonal flu or something else. And of course, it'll continue to, uh, to mutate unless it disappears over time. Now, there's something interesting when you listen to the doctors. They are saying that people who got vaccinated may be the source of more virulent Powerful variants of the COVID, because uh, of the way it's trying to get around the, uh, it's trying to get around the vaccination. Whatever whatever the vaccination is doing, uh, the variants as they as they hit it, as the COVID hits it, trying to get around it to work around it, because that's its job, right, to infect people. So those people could be the responsible people for the thing being strong. I don't mean individually. I mean just because people are vaccinated, so this uh, variance they're saying might be stronger and more powerful in the future. Or is that just a tagline they're telling us to prepare us for? Put back your mask. Mask yourself up so you'll see see people riding around in their cars again all by themselves with masks on. I saw a hysterical picture of a woman in the ocean in her bikini going swimming and she not only had a mask on but she had one of them big plastic shields that you wear around your head and it comes down in front of your face and she's going out in the ocean. Okay. I get it. Uh, you know, come up with a mask that really works. And if it'll really protect people, then, then that's what you do. If it's that bad and it's going to kill people. and you, But get a good mask. Don't get this, these paper garbage masks that don't do anything. But they do look like we are complying. And I think that is probably one of the bigger, bigger parts about this. So as I look uh, around and I'm saying, kids are going to be going back to school. Are they going to continue with making us vaccinate our kids? We're starting to see more and more data is leaking out about the effects of the uh, of the vaccines. It's not even really a vaccine. It's, um, it's a medication. But we're starting to see more and more about it. What's going to happen if the Congress changes and we have Republican-controlled Congress? Will we then have real hearings where we will look at you know, people who have taken this. We have a brother-in-law in in the family. He's 55 years old, um, physically fit, healthy, no underlining conditions whatsoever, double vaxxed, uh, and had a massive stroke. And the doctors, uh, in his talking to his family, you know, trying to figure out, gee, what is this? Is this something we we have to be concerned about for our daughter? Is it hereditary? And doctors said he can't find anything other than the double vaxxing as possibly the uh, the cause of the stroke because people who have taken the vax have been known to to get get strokes. Uh, we also have another even younger guy. He's got to be 41. Uh, he's a cousin's husband. Uh, awesome guy, good shape, healthy. All of a sudden, boom, has a stroke out of nowhere. No history in his family. Uh, and when they checked, they basically told them the same thing. Well, you were double vaxed and, and double. Uh, booster and all that, it's probably related to the vaccine. Because while we don't know that, because we're not allowed to hear those things, except here on America out loud, uh, the vaccines uh, are are responsible for a lot of health problems that people have. Myocarditis uh, is huge, but you're not allowed to talk about it. Take your chances. Make you take that shot. And if something happens to somebody in your family, well, you'll suit up. You can't sue them. That's right. They're protected from being sued with a, uh, an experimental d- drug, but they made you take it anyway. All right. So you see where I'm going here today? We're looking at all different kind of things on our afternoon together. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful day. It's, it's a wonderful time to be together, and uh, I'm trying to find some fun things, some light things. Uh, I, I say some shout outs here to you, to uh, Jim the Contrarian, Jim who uh, gave me and my wife COVID because we spent time with them and they had it first. Thank you, Jim. But at least now I have some immunity. Uh, and then also uh, rock and roll Jack Patterson, who we knew suffered a, a devastating loss this past winter when he lost his wife to COVID, uh, our beloved Donna, uh, and then uh, and Big Bill the conscience of the group. Uh, Bill is doing very well. Finally got to see his grandchildren after two and a half years. Took a trip and went down there. Uh, And I want to say hi to my father-in-law Ted in this first half because Ted listens to America Out Loud, all the shows, all the stations just like you should. So This is Lieutenant Joe. We'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice and we'll look at Uvalde School Shooting. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great doctor Peter McCullough talk about the pulpitone iodine based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple by attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the X banner ad on americaoutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. We are America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens, both in the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Chasing Justice with your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. So I tell you, Uh, the last bunch of times. Uh, I just, I got a special delivery the other day. You know when you want something and you're thinking about it and you enjoy it, whether it's uh, your favorite cupcake or your favorite kind of adult beverage or whatever it is that you want and uh, you say, oh, you know, that's really good. I enjoy it. I'm going to go get it. Well, one of the things that uh, I was happy to see show up the other day was a new issue and branding and packaging of uh, my favorite uh, vitamin supplement healthy cell. Yes, Uh, I enjoyed it so much, and I was starting to run low, and I started to say, yeah, you know what, I'll order it when I think about it, I think about it, and then Kathleen says, listen, you better order it, because you're going to forget about it, and then it's not here, and then you're going to be the one who suffers, and I said, you know, you're right, because it's really helped me uh, over the course of time. Like I said, I used to get these sinus infections, and I haven't had one in a very long time. The only thing I'm doing different is taking this immune boost, so I said, uh, let me order it. I ordered, and then here comes the uh, the delivery guy on the front porch. And there is my healthy cell, the blackberry-flavored healthy cell. Uh, so I'm going to tell you, if you're looking for something to help you, if you're looking for something to help you uh, strengthen your immune system so you can fight off colds and COVID if you get it, and whatever, uh, healthy cell. Very good immune boost. And I got this uh, focus stuff also. You know, you're 60 years old, and I'm busy. My brain is going a thousand miles an hour. I'm writing, doing radio shows, and all that kind of stuff. I said, let me try that too. When I was when I was on the website looking at it, I said, I got so I got some of that, and uh, I'm I'm trying to determine if I if I feel a difference, and if I do, I'll tell you about it. But it's a healthy cell. The immune boost is excellent. Uh, so if it's out there, you go, it's on the it's on the network. They they advertise on the network. Go and uh, take a look. Do yourself a favor. Give it a try. All right now. The interim report came in about uh, Uvalde, the school shooting at the Robb Elementary School in Texas, and we've all heard lots and lots of different stories. Uh, You know, teachers propped the door open, and that teacher must feel terrible that they propped the door open. He came in there. uh, Somebody had a shot at him, but they didn't have a shot at him. They should have went in. They didn't go in. Did they follow their policy? Did they not follow their policy? All this stuff we're, we're hearing There's such a... A cacophony of, of stories and like everything else you get initial different stories. I will, t- I will say this um, uh, my commentary about this is not to point a finger and hurt my brother and sisters in law enforcement uh, you know when an officer gets killed in the line of duty and we see that it was an inevitable kind of thing because the officer was involved in an armed robbery arrest and there was people with guns and this and that and you say well the officer did their duty and they died you know but as a lot of times we see when an officer does something in not the best way and they end up losing their life well nobody wants to talk about that you know and internally we should as law enforcement we should talk about it for lessons learned what did the officer do right and wrong that ended in his or her death right so that we can avoid that in the future and i think that's a learning tool that we all have to be aware of you know, the lessons learned thing. I use it all the time, uh, in my teaching and training and writing. We have to be able to look at where we went right and where we went wrong and then learn from it. So we don't do it the next time, you know? So I have, um, I have some documents that I put together. I have the actual report and I'm going to start, um, I'm going to start putting together my article, um, so that I can, uh, Put it to, I'm doing a webinar to you, so it's a lot of information, but I, I wanted to go over some of the, the, the highlights here. Um, let's look at the first thing. The doors were propped. What are they reporting in the um, in the news and this and that was that there was teachers propping doors. Well, ask any teacher, ask any principal, anybody, anywhere in the country uh, about door propping in schools, and you will find out that it is a much bigger problem than people let on. It's a much, much bigger problem than people let on. When I do a threat assessment and uh, and I go around and I read the school policies first on, on safety and security and all that, and there is almost inevitably, every school district has a policy, you will not prop doors open. These are exterior doors, you will not prop them open. And then I go around and when I'm doing my assessment, I inevitably find doors open because people prop them open for lots of reasons. None of them are evil reasons. They're all convenience reasons. Uh, We do find sometimes we'll have employees in the school district uh, prop the door open because they're gonna run out and smoke a cigarette. Now, most schools say you can't smoke, but I know that people who are addicted to uh, to nicotine who smoke, they have got to get that cigarette in. So they prop a door, they step away from the building, they have the cigarette, and then they run back in. Okay, that's a reality. Um, we also find that sometimes it's hot, you know, in the hotter weather, not every school district has air conditioning. So what do they do? They prop open a door so that the air can come in, increase the airflow in the room. We also see people who prop it open when they have to run out to the playground maybe and tell some kids to come out or tell tell some kids to come in, they prop the door so they can come and go. It's for convenience, uh, because locked doors are inconvenient, right? So in Uvalde, we heard that a a door was propped open, and that's how our killer got in there and got to everybody. Well, it turns out that there was a propped door. Somebody was advised about it, and they removed the propping. It was a rock or something in the door. They removed it, and the door closed. The problem was there were two doors on the side of the school that were left unlocked, They weren't propped open. Turns out the report says they were actually uh, unlocked. The door that people reported was propped open, had been, but a teacher removed that propping, but the door was still unlocked, which left the school vulnerable. Now, you say to yourself, how could somebody do such a thing at this day and age? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I go all over. I teach. I lecture about school safety and security, and I will uh, inevitably ask a question about, so how many people here still don't lock their doors? Now, you would think in in this day and age, after all we know about school shooters and now you volley where a kid walked in an unlocked door and killed many people, that nobody would raise their hand. Well, shockingly, guess what? You still get people will raise their hand. I say, why do you leave your doors unlocked? And the answer that I get most of the time is that people say, well... Uh, our parents don't want to feel like it's a prison. They don't want to feel like they can't get in to see their kids when they want. And they want to be able to get in. And the school board uh, says, okay, leave the front door unlocked so parents can just come in. Well, two things. First of all, uh, once your door is unlocked, now a killer can get in. And number two, most places the killer goes uh, are to our front and back doors. That's why we have to harden them first. I right, said so that's the first rule. We harden the front door and the back doors Because that's where our killers get in. They go in the same place as we do. When you show up to school, where do you go? You go to a front door, don't you? Even if you park in the back parking lot, you walk all the way around, you go to the front door. Well, that's what shooters normally do, right? Um, Interesting things that came out that those two doors were there. They they weren't propped. Another thing we start to find out, um, when we talk about people who do this, Um, people who do these kind of killings and shootings, and I talk about it, uh, there's not a profile, as I've said before. There's no profile of a shooter. There are traits, though, that we can look at. There are traits of of these shooters that we can say, oh, we noticed out of so many shooters, lots of them did this or did this kind of thing. Well, one of the things we see is how they start to dress. And I've addressed this in articles, uh, parts of, of webinars and teaching that I do. Uh, in how they start to dress. And I've covered this before, but I'll I'll give it to you again real quick. It seems in the mindset of these people who are going to kill us, whether it's at our workplace or our schools, they are going to battle. Uh, And when you go to battle, like the army, don't you wear specific kinds of clothes, right? So we see that many, many of our shooters will start to dress in military-type garb, or, or, you know, weaponry-based kind of garb, uh, battle dress, uniform pants, those ones with all the pockets all over them, the the vests where you could put all your magazines and stuff, and they start to wear that stuff. They wear dark-colored clothing, um, that kind of thing. So here, uh, right out of the report, uh, we see that it says here, uh, let's see, the attacker began wearing black clothes, combat boots, and had long, unkept hair. He was active on several media platforms, uh, including TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and a French live streaming platform called Yubo. He networked with his local peers in ongoing tra- uh, chat groups, and he played a range of video games, including uh, some, some of the more dangerous ones that are out there, the ones that are really horrible. Uh, most of his usernames and even his email reflected the themes of confrontation and revenge, the attacker began to demonstrate interest in gore, violent sex, watching and sharing gruesome videos and images of suicides, beheadings, accidents, and things like that. All right, so this this kid, uh, by doing this, when people start to do these kind of things that we can see, all right? that's called leakage. So what's going on in their head starts to leak out and we can start to see that they're building up to something. He told people. Uh, that that he was considering doing something really, really big. Um, On some of these chat groups, some of the kids that that he was involved with, they called him School Shooter because of his commentaries and the things that he was doing. So it's it's really um, the idea of leakage is real. If you notice somebody all of a sudden starts to change their dress, how they dress what they do they start to wear those kind of things that you say boy that 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 looks weird and that's what these people said about him they said man this guy's looking weird uh he's kind of looking like a school shooter yes the dress code is very very common we look at the columbine shooters and we see that those two killers wore the same kind of clothes bdus army kind of clothes they they wore black clothes the, uh, the killer at Sandy Hook dressed in all black with a black hood and in he went. So when we start to see those kind of things, you, you need to do something. You need to, to notice if you're a, if you're in a school and you're a school person or you work in a school, you're an administrator, a teacher, whatever, and you notice that one of your students is withdrawn, is, is not connected to people, and they start wearing these kind of things, you need to let somebody know. You need to say something. Hey, you know, there's a kid in my class, kind of a loner. Uh, kind of a guy that you know doesn't get along with people, they none of the kids really like him, and now he started wearing like military looking clothes. This is a trait that we can see in multiple people who have done active shootings that that's how they dress up, they're dressing for battle. It's as clear as that. So, I want to keep referencing the report that came out of uh, California, I'm sorry, out of Texas. And let's talk about this kid a little bit more, the shooter, the killer. I don't want to mention his name. One of the things we think here is that he clearly was looking for attention. Uh, We know that in the days before the shooting, he made a big deal out of the shooting in Buffalo. He seemed to be fascinated with. So I'm I'm going to read a little bit right out of this report and then we'll talk about it. You know, the attacker got a job in late 2021. He first worked at uh, a burger store. I'm not going to say the name of the places he worked where a friend's grandmother saw him and snapped a picture and sent it to her grandson, warning that this is an example of what your life will be like if you quit school. Now, think about that. Imagine that. Imagine your kid is kind of a loner, is kind of off the beaten path from other kids, and somebody else goes to a place where your kids work and takes a picture of them and sends it to their young person going, see, look what you're going to end up like if you don't do the right things, right? So this is the kind of, uh, I guess, social connection this kid had to people. Obviously, he he was kept apart. Let's see, um, his peers seem to express that to him. His employer fired him after a month for threatening a female coworker, and he fared similarly at his next job at another hamburger place, where a coworker there described him as not a good person and troubled someone who put himself in a box and would not talk or associate with anyone he worked with. An exception to that approach was when he tried discussing guns with another employee. When the other employee received the discussion negatively, the attacker challenged him to a fight. The attacker also occasionally worked with his grandfather and he had a paid cash job there. But the bottom line is when we see another trait, one of the traits we see is a fascination with weapons. These people who do these things are fascinated with weapons. They start to think about weapons, talk about weapons, and in this case, he couldn't get along with anybody at work at two jobs, except for apparently this one guy, and he started talking about guns, and the one guy didn't want to hear anything about it. He didn't like the idea uh, about the guns, and now the guy wants to fight with him. So you got to say that's, that's a pretty strange thing, absolutely strange and bizarre, but something that we can see in people out there. Um when he, when, he, when he developed the fascination with weapons, shortly thereafter, like I said, he developed a fascination with school shootings, and he made no secret about this. His, his comments uh, about them, coupled with his wild threats of violence and rape, earned him that nickname of school shooter. So this this kid obviously was ex- displaying a lot of leakage. Now how do we how do we deal with leakage? What do we learn from that? Well, one of the things I say all the time, school districts, businesses, everybody where people gather and are potential victims of active shooting. You should develop a team either within your school district or in individual schools if you have lots of schools in your business, develop a team and then train them to identify potentially dangerous people. Now that's a training that I do. I teach that to schools and to businesses and there there are techniques that you look for. You know, you evaluate a threat. What is a threat? Well, in lots of cases, we'll see somebody say, uh, they'll say something at the water cooler or at lunchroom, or they'll make a comment to another employee, or these kids say things to other kids. And on face value, the words that they use don't sound as threatening as maybe the inflection in their voice, the way they looked at you when they said it, the tone of voice, that kind of thing. So for an example, if somebody says something like, uh, say they got written up at work because they got a bad attitude and they're having a problem or whatever a kid in school uh, makes comments to people that people don't like he's harassing whatever and they're called to it called to account for it you might hear somebody say something like really they write me up one more time and this whole place is going to see what I'm going to do now when you think about those words write me up again and this whole place is going to see what I'm going to do is that a threat well yeah it's a threat what does he mean they're going to see what I'm going to do well a couple of things He he could quit, he could walk out, he could steal client information, he could do a lot of things, and he can come back to work with a gun and kill everybody, right? So when when they call the police, if somebody does call the police over a thing like that, a lot of times we will find our officers show up and say, okay, he threatened you, how did he threaten you? Well, he said if he gets written up again, he'll show this whole place, this, that, and the other thing. And to the average law enforcement officer, unless he said something like, I'm going to come in tomorrow and kill you, uh, they don't necessarily see that as a threat. Well, what was he saying? He was blowing off steam. And then they go talk to the guy. And the guy says, yeah, that's it. I was just blowing off steam. I was annoyed they, they wrote me up again. It's like the fifth time in a year they wrote me up for nonsense around this place. Everybody else gets away with stuff, but not me. I get picked on all the time. The officer may write that as a disorderly person's call. But in reality, the reason people parse their words like that is because they understand if they say, I'm going to come back and kill everybody, that that's going to tip everybody off to what they're doing. So they parse their words. Oh, yeah? You'll see what happens. You write me up again. Right? That kind of thing. So we have to be able to identify what a threat threat is. Now, the FBI uh, quantifies threats as low, medium, and high. Now, the difference between a low threat and a high threat uh, and everything in between really has a lot to do with, uh, with the timing the words that were said um, and what it is the person says they're going to do. So the more realistic a threat is, the more realistic it is, the more you have to take it serious. So you might have a kid say, oh, yeah, I'm going to blow this place up with a nuclear bomb. Well, that that's a threat. We're, we'd all get that. There's a bomb involved. They're going to blow something up. But what's the reality of a kid getting his hands on a nuclear bomb in high school? Right Now, you can get a lot of things at the local hardware store. Uh, but you can't really get fissionable material that you can make a nuclear bomb out of. So when a kid says something like that, you have to weigh that out. What was the kid? The kid was angry, threatening. Do you investigate? Yes, they said they're going to blow the school up, so you got to come back and you know investigate. The police should be involved. You go talk to them. But the real reality of that is that that's probably a very low-level threat, even though he's talking about a nuclear bomb, which would scare everybody. But kids can't get nuclear bombs, so they're not really going to do that. The next-level threat uh, goes from, from simple words when people say something stupid like that kid to when somebody says something um, a little more credible. Like, you know what? I went on the Internet and I found out how they made those uh, pressure cooker bombs and I'm going to make one and I'm going to blow this place up. Okay, now you have a much more specific threat, don't you? The kid said specifically he di- he took some action. I looked it up on the Internet. Can you look up pressure cooker bombs on the Internet? Yes, you can. There's all kinds of things you can look up on the internet. So if a kid said he did that, now he oh, I could make, okay, that's kind of more realistic, isn't it? So now when you call the police and the police investigate, what are they going to want to investigate? they to going to talk to the parents and find out, has the kid been online? Has the kid had any packages delivered recently from Amazon or from some other place and they delivered him a pressure cooker? Uh, has he bought, uh, Has he bought chemicals from the hardware store? What is he doing? Because you can make all that stuff based on what you see on the internet. So you'd maybe do a little that's a little bit more of a threat a very high level threat is one that is very very specific you know what principal? next time you come out that back door i know you come out d6 and go to your stupid uh, uh jeep cherokee back there i'm gonna be waiting for you and then you and i are gonna finish this that is a pretty straightforward and direct threat that has a lot now could the kid know where the principal goes Out back door? Sure. Could he know what kind of car he has? Sure. Could he make that threat? We're going to end this? Yes, that's a very high level threat because it's very specific. You might hear an employee at work say something like that too. Uh, You know what? (laughs) You might not want to come to work Friday because it's going to be not a good day around here. That's a direct specific threat. You're going to have to intervene there and that's the idea. So training a team a training team of people in a school, a business, anywhere that people congregate, a religious facility, so that they identify when someone makes a threat. Is it a low, medium, or high-level threat? Is it realistic? And what is our intervention tactic going to be? All right, so you start to start to see that someone has started leaking. They're saying things. They're doing things. They're fascinated with guns. They're making low-level threats. Med- medial, medial. Now you have to intervene. So that kind of training, everybody needs to get. Uh, I provide that kind of training to schools and to businesses and all kinds of places. So there's training out there. You can go find it. You can go get it. All right. So I want to go back to the report here for a second. All right. So let's see. What else did these people say when it came to his uh, to his work? I right, oh, here's here's real, again. Here's with the leakage. So he played these video games with people, and he taunted. Uh, they taunted him with the nickname. It became a running joke, the school shooter, uh, and the other thing. His online behavior uh, got crazier, and he even started sharing pictures of himself wearing a plate carrier. Now, a plate carrier is uh, it's like a military vest or a law enforcement vest, and the plate they're talking about is a bulletproof plate that officers put into the vest carrier so that they can protect themselves from, uh, from that kind of thing. And he started showing up pictures holding up a BB gun. Right, and he wanted to scare people. So we, we know that these people do these kind of things. Um, you have to listen to how people how people view this person and that kind of things. All right, so we know now that this interim report came out. And the, the idea that the door was propped open was there was some truth to it. But they unpropped it when they heard that there was a threat. Um, the, the next one that I read in the report, and this is, this is still conjecture because they're not positive when it came out that one of the officers asked his, had a shot as the guy was approaching the school, had a shot at him and said, you know, sergeant, should I take the shot? And then the sergeant didn't answer. Uh, and by the time he looked back at the guy, the guy was already close to the school. And he was all dressed in black. Well, we know uh, the killer in this case was dressed in black. But there's also a reality that in their investigation, what they found out that there was a gym teacher out in the field... Uh, who was also dressed in black, and he was shuttling the children back into the school, screaming to lockdown, telling people to lockdown, and he was moving towards the kids. Now, this very well could have been what the police officer saw, so it's a good thing he didn't take the shot if it was the, uh, if it was the gym teacher, right? So you got to imagine how, how quickly these things move when they're taking place. It's easy to sit back and Monday morning quarterback what everybody did, but at the same time, when you're there, I mean, think about that. That might be your job uh, to protect people. And, and using deadly force sometimes is part of the job. It's, it's something you have to wrap your head around when you're in law enforcement. But he, here's this guy, sees a guy going towards him, not positive if that's the shooter or not, and says, Sarge, should I shoot him? Well, if it was the gym teacher, it would have been horrific, right? Uh, if it was the bad guy, then he, he would have made a good decision. But he didn't take the shot, and before you knew it, the guy was close to the school. And this is where this report is saying they believe it was probably the gym teacher. Thank goodness. And they say that gym teacher saved a lot of people, so that's a good thing. When we look at um, some of the things that they're talking about, and I'm going to get in more depth into this as time goes by and as the full report comes out, but I really wanted to cover this today. When they they went over the police response, what they found was um, a lot of officers showed up, the police chief, uh, the school police chief, was on scene right away, and he made that decision that he thought it was an active shooter. They never got the communications from people in the room who were calling, saying they were still alive in the room with the shooter, uh, which would have made this absolutely an active shooter incident still. So we we can all blame that chief, uh, and I'm not saying he wasn't at fault. I don't think he made a lot of good decisions. Uh, here. You know, the officers initially were there quickly. They went down the hallway. They identified the classroom where the, where the shooter was uh, and they, they apparently tried to open the door. They touched the door. There was two doors, 111 and 112 and I told you 112 didn't work, was unlocked the whole time. Uh, maybe they touched 111 and he heard them and he started shooting because he fired a volley of shots into the hallway. Some of the debris hit some of the officers and they retreated uh, out of the hallway and they didn't go back. Now, we can all fault them for that, okay? Um, could they have gone another direction and come up to the side of the school? Could they have done uh, some kind of distraction thing? You know, bash the glass window of the classroom with a bat from a place of safety. When, when the guy does that, you pop the door and go. It's easy to, to sit back and say, oh, I would have done this. I would have done that. They could have done things better. They had a force of officers Um, You know, there was some communication problems. Apparently, one radio didn't talk to another. They had bad Wi-Fi. They had bad communications in the school. The app that they used for safety and security is a good one. Unfortunately, it runs on Wi-Fi, and teachers always complained. In a lot of schools I go to, the Wi-Fi is terrible. Uh, They never used the intercom to communicate. Uh, Teachers didn't have their phones with them. Uh, The police chief left his radios next to the fence. I mean, There were so many errors here um, and I'm trying to look at that and there's an old saying you know the fog of war that's a, that's, a, that's a quote you know about people who are in battle and you get this fog of war things look different when you're when you're in a deadly life and death situation they absolutely do so giving as much benefit of the doubt as you can here uh, you know to everyone I think there were command decisions made that were not right they did not set up a command post right away I had a command post. Nobody took charge right away. Uh, the, it's endless, the number of things that went wrong here and that we can learn from. The bottom line is everyone in every organization has to take safety and security as a top priority today. doesn't matter what you are, a school, a business, a church, a synagogue, uh, a food store, a movie theater, it doesn't matter. We see these places are being attacked by people all the time. We have to address the mental health issues. Lots and lots of these people that do this have mental health issues that are diagnosed or undiagnosed. And, we, you know, that's not a subject we talk about here in America. We, we put off the uh, mental health issue. Who's, who's, who's mentally Who's mentally unstable? Now, look at the bigger picture of our country and look at all the things that are going on. Couldn't you point a finger of uh, mental instability at lots of people and say, these people are crazy, those people are crazy, but we all accept it as how it should be. So, I want to thank you all for coming on this journey with me. I appreciate your time uh, and we'll get together again and we'll keep watching what's going on in the world. This is Lieutenant Joe for Chasing Justice saying, have a great day and be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.